So let me be honest, I have been through the ringer in the last few months with both chronic pain in my shoulder and my back. Also, I scratched my cornea, flossing my daughter's teeth. It was a total freak accident. And I have never been more thankful for my sauna blanket and my blue blocking glasses. I wore them for about a week straight, the orange glasses, because I was so sensitive I couldn't see anything with my scratched cornea. So I was rotating between wearing my blue blocking glasses and like laying in the sauna trying to help my chronic pain. I've I've been a mess, but I'm so thankful for Bond Charge. They are a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products that I use every day, multiple times a day, from blue light blocking glasses to EMF management to their new infrared sauna blankets. Bond Charge has all of the high quality and effective products that you are looking for. I use the, the Bond Charge blue light blocking orange glasses every single night starting right at bedtime. It makes such a huge difference if you're consistent with it. It makes such a huge difference in melatonin production. And then I wear the computer glasses when I'm looking at screens. And about a year ago, I invested in an infrared sauna blanket. It is super easy to set up. I just lay it on my bed, plug it in, heat it up, and climb in. It is that easy, and it does really help with muscle tension, and it reduces some of my chronic pain. I've also noticed a big shift in my soreness overall. So when I'm holding a lot of tension, when I'm holding a lot of soreness, it kind of just melts that all away. Ultimately, it's an incredible way to support your lymphatic system and detoxification too because it heats up your body internally and helps promote sweating. You will be relaxed and re-energized and recover better. So if you have been eyeing saunas, I could not recommend this blanket more, and we have a deal for you that you will not find anywhere else. Go to Bond Charge, that's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E dot com forward slash wellfed. Use the coupon code wellfed for 20% off. Again, that's bondcharge.com forward slash wellfed. Use the coupon code wellfed to save 20%. That's $140 off your very own sauna blanket. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast, episode number 452. This is the first podcast episode that I got a little overwhelmed by the by the information that I was receiving from my guest today, Alyssa Chang. If you have been wanting to learn about nervous system health, the vestibular system, the visual system, and even about the neural hierarchy and how all of that plays into chronic pain, chronic digestive issues, chronic health issues, and even things like headaches, you are going to be blown away by the information that Alyssa gives us today. I So many light bulbs were going off. So many things were being connected for me. I, I mean, most of you know, I have struggled with my own issues over the years to include chronic pain and chronic headaches. And I am very prone to motion sickness. And I've never heard somebody connect the dots for me in the way that Alyssa did. So this is going to be a great overview of 
the nervous system and how that plays so closely into our chronic health conditions. But we also actually go through an exercise together. It's something you, as long as you're not driving, it's something that you can do as well. So I'm actually going to be working with Alyssa moving forward to try to help improve some of my visual and vestibular systems and the issues that I have there and see if that helps my chronic pain and my, you know, I have IBS. I had IBS since I was a kid. My chronic digestive issues that sometimes still randomly will occur for no reason or so I think, right? And headaches and motion sickness and all of that. So I'll definitely report back. But you are going to get so much out of this episode. And I cannot wait to uh, learn more about this and to incorporate this into a lot of my work that I do as well. Alyssa actually works as a neuroscience health coach, which involves deeply understanding the inner workings of the nervous system and its role in how it governs how we think, feel, move, behave, and live. The scientific and compassionate approach focuses on training the brain to give options back to the body so healing feels both sustainable impossible again. So now let's get to the interview. Well, I think um, the interesting thing is they'll have, there's a lot of research around the percentage. I think it's like, I don't know, it's like a really high percentage, over 50% that had like herniated discs in their lumbar spine, but zero pain signals. Right. And so then you're like, well, what is happening to those people? Cause they are like performing, running, doing like life and getting no pain signal. And then you have people that are. And so that's where, you know, pain is so unique. It's such a unique expression. It's whether or not our brain is, you asked the question about threats. It's like, what is our brain interpreting as something super life-threatening versus someone else is like, I'm good, you know? Yeah. And so it's so, it is, it's just like a fascinating realm of like, science. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've been talking to, I have um, a guy that I work with, my physical therapist, and he's very knowledgeable, but he has been kind of, he blew my mind because he was like, well, pain's actually more like an emotion. Like it's originates mm. in the brain and the way that it travels in the body looks more like an emotion than it does like what we would think it would be, which is like, oh, you're feeling this because it's like right here. And it's, you know, the nervous system is involved and Mm-hmm. Sometimes pathways get set deep in. I'm, I was, so I was yeah. like, wait, what? So he told me to order this book called Explain Pain by. Oh my gosh, you'll love it. No, okay, it's like I ordered the it. Highest, yeah, it's like one of the highest recommended books. I said, I actually have my clients read as well as they step oh, cool. into my work because it's like a big part of my work is pain re education. So if people can really understand like what pain really is, it actually gives them more like a sense of relief. Like, oh, it's not me. It's actually like a brain thing. You know, it's something that my brain is trying to alert me of in protection yes. of like, I don't right. feel safe. So explain pain is great because they'll, I mean, they talk about like you put your you know foot over a fire and it's supposed to travel up the spinal cord, da, 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 da. And like some people, there's like that delay. Some people it takes a while. Some people, maybe they don't feel it because they have like, you know, a poor sensory map on the foot from an injury. So it's just wow. super fascinating. Yeah. It is a funky looking book. I'm excited it's to read such it. A funky book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was like, just get past the pictures, but you'll know more. You'll know more yeah. about pain than 95% of physicians if you read this yeah. book. So anyway, I, I'm excited to read it. I am so excited to have you here. Let's like get Thank official. You. This is episode number four fifty. Just hanging out, chatting on a Friday <laughs> of the Well Fed Women podcast with Alyssa Chang. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, and we could probably talk offline for hours, but I I do want to bring this conversation um, and bring everybody in on it. I know some we've got some awesome questions to get to from our community. A lot of you guys are very well versed in nervous system health and you have questions and I have the person. I have Alyssa here to answer all of them. So I'm so excited that you're here. So 
welcome. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to, to join us. Oh my gosh. Thank you. What a, what a great end to my week and start to my day. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's start with the foundation. What is the nervous system on a physiological level and what's its primary goal? Yeah. So the nervous system's primary goal is to keep us safe and alive. And it does so by really understanding it. Well, it's based off of prediction. So our brain has all these maps in our body. We have a visual map, a gut map, mechanoreceptor maps. And unfortunately, these maps get blurry due to trauma and injury. And so that impacts our ability to predict. And if we can't predict if there's a tiger around the corner, what ends up happening is it'll increase a threat response. So we might feel more tension in the body, our heart rate might increase. And so if prediction is impacted, what ends up happening is then we will move in a body that doesn't feel very in flow. It feels very rigid, hypervigilant, anxious. And then what we then experience is probably a lot of interesting symptoms from a nervous system lens. Symptoms are actually windows into a deeper need by the brain, probably for something that it needs more safety. It needs more tools to create regulation, but yeah, that's kind of like a quick little synopsis of like nervous system. I think when people think of the nervous system, they think of maybe the brain and also Mm -hmm. nerves really Mm -hmm. the, we just talked about this before, but the main nerve that I think that a lot of people are aware of is the vagus nerve that's kind of getting more and more attention. Can you explain to me how the brain interacts with our nerves and then how does that impact how other organs function, like our gut? Yeah. So the brain is basically your governing system. So we have all these different structures and lobes that have independent responsibilities. So for instance, the parietal lobe, houses our sensory map. And we heavily rely on sensory input from our eyes, from our taste buds, smell, sound, even from like just tactile skin to better understand where we are in space. So all these different lobes play a really big role in helping that predictive map and helping us have a better idea of where we are, how safe we are. Are we in danger? Do I need to flee, flight, freeze, or fawn, right? Like those trauma responses. So it's in constant communication with us. Like Every single moment of the day, our brain is scanning the environment, asking this one question is how safe am I Mm. constantly? And so if we are someone that is light sensitive, but we work on a screen like our entire day and it's emitting artificial blue light in our eyes, our brain is registering a lot of threat, a lot of danger. And we might walk away from our computer feeling more anxious, feeling disassociated, having lower back pain and having, again, just a lot of symptoms. And a lot of people may wonder why they feel unwell. And it could be as something as simple, quote unquote, as your eyes have been immobile, staring at artificial blue light, and it's not creating the appropriate response in the brain. The brain is unable to integrate that input. Interesting. So why is blue light considered a threat? And maybe what are some other examples of threats that we experience on a daily basis that our nervous system, our brain is, you know, receiving that signal like threat, threat, threat. Yeah. So threats are very individualized. We can look back as far as our upbringing as well. Like if we were raised in an environment where there was, let's say we lived in a very loud neighborhood. So either our brain got really good at disconnecting from loud sounds, or it became very aware and attuned to loud sounds. So over the years, our auditory system is 
working overtime because our brain connected loud sounds to a potential threat. So we move through our day feeling very overwhelmed in crowds. We're someone that maybe we're in a hard argument with a partner. We have to turn down the radio so that our brain removes that input and can focus on a difficult conversation. And so that's an example, a quick example of like how threats are individualized based off of like some childhood experiences. But in general, we basically pick up threats throughout the day. It is as simple as I didn't sleep well. I, you know, was mouth breathing. I forgot to eat breakfast. And so my blood sugar is lower than it needs to be sitting in traffic. It's stimulus. We just want to think it's stimulus that our brain can not interpret in an appropriate, safe way that over time gets filled up in what we call like a threat bucket. Mm -hmm. And so we all start the day with this bucket that is supposed to be empty, but we all have, again, lived experiences of like sprained ankles, surgeries, dental work that gets already tossed into our bucket. But if we don't have tools to empty out our bucket, the bucket just continues to fill until if you can imagine there's a spigot. And if the bucket keeps filling the spigot, the output's going to be pain. And pain is also something that's super personal. So when we have pain, it's not necessarily like you and I were talking about, maybe it doesn't live in the shoulder, but maybe it's an accumulation of all these threats that we've been either disconnected from compartmentalizing, or maybe we're just unaware of them that over time they build, 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 and we bend over to tie our shoes and we throw out our back. Mm-hmm. So it's rarely the incident at hand, unless it's structural, like we have like labral tears, you know, we've broken bones, but usually it's an accumulation of threats over time. So many questions. So <laughs> I don't think I answered the blue light one either, but <laughs> my mind right now. So your face is great now because you're just like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so- what is it though? Okay. So what is it about? Let's say I, I don't, well, use me as an example. I get up. I don't necessarily yes. feel stressed, but I had a rough night's sleep because who, nobody tells you that <laughs> your kids as they get older still wake up in the middle of the night on a weekly basis because their blanket isn't right. Or they, they don't know if they should flush the toilet, like just stuff like that. So you know, your kids are up in the middle of the night, you get up, you feel okay, you sit in front of your computer, you're taking in a lot of blue light, maybe you have a difficult interaction with a coworker mm-hmm. that frustrates you, and you pick up your phone and you're scrolling and you see what's happening in the Middle East, or you f- see something pretty benign, but like some hater comes out and trolls you and says something, and then you start like you can feel your sympathetic nervous system starting to come online. Maybe you kind of bring yourself down down and you can like, you know, you're eating dinner, you're trying to relax, you bend over to tie your shoe and now you throw out your back in quotations. How does all of that stuff translate into pain? Make that connection Mm -hmm. for us. The, The external things that we're trying to manage, which the things that I said, most people are dealing with on a daily basis. Like that's Mm -hmm. how we're living as a daily state. How does that though translate to now there's muscle tension in a very specific part of my back that I I'm, I throw out occasionally. Great. Okay. So let me ask you this. When you throw out your back in quotations, right? What is it then that you choose to do? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I, you know, you're forced, you're forced to rest more, but then you, you fight it a lot of the time. 
So pain neuroscience is how we understand pain is that pain is the loudest action signal sent by the brain to communicate that we are unsafe. It is also the best behavior change tool. So when I throw out my back, hypothetically, I know that if I have a lot of clients back to back, I'm probably going to be standing up in between my calls, doing some, you know, spinal mobility. I may move my eyes, but I'm constantly changing my behavior because I know being positioned in front of a computer sedentary is going to increase my pain signal. So we want to understand that pain is your brain's best option to get you to be like, Noel, we need you to rest. Tell the kids that the blanket's okay. <laughs> but yes, flush the toilet. You know, like it's yeah. So it's getting us to change a behavior. And so when we can understand that, it gives us a really good opportunity to really approach our pain symptoms with a lot of curiosity. Cause all all the time with my clients, my check-ins not are not, how are you feeling? I'm like, what's in your throat bucket today? And then they will just rattle off lists of like, oh, I was stuck in traffic. I was late and I had this big meeting. And then my coworker was really upset with me. So like you mentioned, are we're already revving ourselves up. Mm-hmm. So what I want them to understand is, well, what we all want to understand is there's, there's typically a very common pain symptom we feel when our threat bucket is very full. So pain is also, it doesn't have to be intramuscular. Like for me, when I'm ignoring my threat bucket, mine comes out as anxiety. So when I'm ruminating, I'm like, you know, trying to control all the little things. I'm like frantically cleaning my kitchen. I'm like, oh, there's my threat bucket's pretty full. So it helps me pause and then start to become very curious. I'm like, well, what's my threat bucket? Okay. Well, I didn't sleep well. Oh, I, I forgot to eat lunch. And I know maybe that for me, a lack of missing meals is potentially one of the bigger threats in my bucket. So then I pause what I'm doing, eat some food, reassess how I feel because the nervous system works incredibly fast. As soon as I eat, I might already feel less anxiety. Interesting. How do you know what is at the root of an overactive or a hypervigilant nervous system? I don't know if those words are correct, but I have heard a lot of people talk about, you know, overactivity or a hypervigilant nervous system because everyone thinks, I feel like we live in in a holistic health realm where everyone has the answer. It's gluten. It's mold. It's you're not taking enough supplements. It's toxic air. It's how you're sleeping. It's parasites. You just need to do this cleanse. You just need to get your body clean. You know, so like, how do we know if that thing is really the thing or if mm-hmm. like what if maybe our the root of our digestive issues is truly leaky gut and we need to fix the lining of our gut or if it's more intertwined with the nervous system and then how do that sorry there's a lot of questions there but like how do we (laughs) actually know what's at the root there because i mean like i said i feel like a lot of things that we deal with are things that like are daily just like that's how we live our life you know yeah and getting to the root is definitely its own journey in of itself you know, and I think what I'm very cognizant of with my clients is their safety and intellectualizing and trying to use our logical brain to figure things out. Yes. And usually. <laughs> yeah. I'm nodding. And, yes. Yeah. That is and, my safety. And yeah. here, exactly. Right. And here's what I, I try to help clients safely transition to is that the habit of intellectualizing is typically a response when being in our body is not a safe place to be. 
So we go down the rabbit hole of Googling, right? We see a lot of healthcare people and then we get a bunch of diagnoses and then we might feel overwhelmed because it's like, okay, I got to change my diet. I got to move my body this way. I got to do sleep tape. I got to, you know, the list goes on and on. And so there's this really interesting juncture. I end up meeting a lot of clients at is there's a little frustration. It's like, okay, what is it, Alyssa? Like, what is it? And I think the, the best answer I can give them is, we just need to test it. Like we need to spend the time experimenting because your body will provide us the answers. So let's say hypothetically, you're having the back pain and we're like, okay, well, Noel, why don't we experiment with sleep tape at night? And within a matter of a few days, we should better understand if sleep tape helps reduce the threat response. And there's a lot of research around nasal breathing and how that can help reduce hyperventilation and overbreathing. And then obviously gets you into a much more grounded, wakeful state when you wake up. And then after a few days, you test it and you're like, wow, that was pretty impactful. And what we're trying to do is just get your nervous system to a stable enough place where we can continue to experiment with certain things. The hard part, it's a pretty patient process because it could be a combination of leaky gut that then maybe is stemmed from the inner ear that then is stemmed from, you know, a injury you had growing up. Maybe you're on antibiotics, right? There's like a host of things that just creates a recipe for then there to be a lot of these very, what I call like very unicorn symptoms or expressions in the body. I have been looking for a hair growth serum for the better part of five years now. And I have finally found one and I convinced them to give you 20% off. Ever since I had two babies back to back, my hair just hasn't been the same. I dealt with what seemed like unusually large amounts of hair loss in the shower for the better part of two years postpartum. And ever since then, my hair has been much thinner. I also noticed it occasionally during more stressful times. And it just seems like now... I'm much more prone to it when life gets crazy. I have been on the search for a clean, peptide-rich hair serum for quite some time. Nothing fit the bill for me. I even thought about making my own. But then I found Divi, which is a scalp serum that improves the appearance of breakage, nourishes hair follicles, and removes product and oil buildup. It has copper tripeptide 1, caffeine, tea tree oil, amino acids, and hyaluronic acid, It has all of the science-backed ingredients I want and none of the unsafe ingredients I don't. Hair loss actually affects over 80 million Americans, and using a hair serum like Divi is great for people who have hair shedding because you're postpartum or you're going through menopause or you're under stress. But it's also a great preventative treatment because it helps remove product buildup and oil heals dry scalp, and helps to nourish the scalp and hair. And let me tell you, Divi is so lightweight. You would not even know you have it on your scalp. I put the little drops on at night before I go to bed and I wake up, and it's like nothing happened. It's magic. Because some serums that I tried made my hair look oily. This does not at all. Take back control of your hair and scalp health and do it with clean science-backed ingredients with a special offer for you all in the well-fed women community. Go to DiviOfficial.com forward slash well-fed or enter well-fed at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's Divi, D-I-V-I, official.com forward slash well-fed for 20% off your first order. What are some, I think I saw this on your Instagram. It was a really good graphic, but what are some of the common reasons someone might have this hyperactive nervous system? Um, You've mentioned trauma. You've also mentioned, which 
something called you keep saying blurred lines or like there's mm. blurred channels. Like what does that mean? Yeah. So the um, you know, the Sunday scaries, how people talk about I have the Sunday yes. scaries. Have you heard of that? Yeah, yes. yeah. So they're like I was already... for some reason I'm like thinking it was the TV show. It sounded like <laughs> like, wait, have I seen that? <laughs> um, so the Sunday scaries basically, you know, maybe it's like it starts to trickle in about 5 p.m. on a Sunday, and you're already anticipating, like, oh my God, my week, it looks crazy. And so you're getting already an inappropriate stress response to what's happening in you and you, and you're sitting down at dinner, you're under the roof, you feel safe, you're with safe people, but you're feeling stressed. Mm -hmm. So there's a very specific part of the brain called the insula cortex. And the insula cortex houses something called interoception, which is our ability to sense what's happening inside of our body. So I have to use the bathroom. I'm hungry. I'm full. I'm thirsty. And also just changes in our emotional state. So I feel stressed. I don't feel stressed. Someone who has that Sunday scaries on repeat, basically that is the insula cortex essentially doing its job, but it may be in such a hypervigilant overactive state that my background is, well, how do we actually, a lot of people talk about like, how do I activate the nervous system? But sometimes it's about deactivation. So how do I get someone's insula cortex to work a little bit more appropriately? Maybe it is through targeting the vagus nerve because the vagus nerve feeds into the insula. So then it's like tongue mobility. Well, maybe what my clients need on Sundays at 4.30 PM, if we've, we've identified that 5 PM, they start to get that stress response is we get ahead of it. They do a series of tongue mobility at 4.30 PM. Then maybe they don't ramp themselves up. So they have a better night's sleep and they start to rewire the nervous system to respond more appropriately when things are stress, actually stressful and life-threatening versus like, again, those inappropriate responses where we're like feeling it like in our whole body. So many people just said, what does the tongue have to do with my stress? Yeah. (laughs) Talk me through that. And the neural hierarchy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's so interesting. The health and fitness culture spent a lot of time working on our proprioceptive map. So joint mechanics, strength building, and everything from the neck down. But it's so interesting that we spend very little time working on everything that's so close to the brain, the tongue, the palate, the eyes, the inner ear all of our cranial nerves. And so the tongue, the back two thirds of the tongue basically is one of the best channels to feed into the vagus nerve. So we've talked about the vagus nerve. It's one of the, it's the longest nerve in the body. It's coined the wandering nerve and it feeds into our gut. It feeds into, provides information to our lungs. So if we have great breathing mechanics, we definitely can regulate ourselves a lot more effectively. So tongue mobility is like one of the most impactful things I can deliver my clients who do have vagus nerve symptoms. So in a health history, if they're talking about, I, you know, have had stints of depression, I'm chronically anxious. I get stuck in these rumination rabbits, uh, loopholes. I can constantly or consistently feel maybe a little disassociated. Like they often feel like their heads over here and their bodies way over here. They feel like they're floating. They don't really know what it feels like to be grounded or connected to their body, which is actually a really common thing. I want to normalize that. A lot of people maybe on social media are like watching reels about embodiment, staying connected to their body. And they may have had have no experience of what that feels like. Mm -hmm. And so what if we can do tongue mobility that feeds into that very specific part of the brain that then creates that wiring so that someone is like, wow, this is grounded. Like I actually feel my limbs. I feel my legs underneath me. So the insula cortex, interesting enough, a lot of my moms after pregnancy have, I would say more deficiencies in how that part of the brain is wiring. 
And when you think about it in a very simple way, it's like you're growing something for months at a time and it's just part of your body. And then in a matter of moments, right? All of a sudden you deliver and your brain is like, hold on, <laughs> something yeah. is missing, you know? And so what typically is the symptom is uh, post-pregnancy clients will often complain about lower back pain. Again, action signal behavior change tool. They'll often complain about, I can't activate my abs anymore. It feels like a blank space. And they feel like, again, floating head, lower body over here. And so that's all insulin derived. So maybe they need sensory input on the stomach to clear up as we're going to talk about those maps of the body. Okay. I'm so overwhelmed right now with like new information. I don't actually feel like I've ever felt this way on an interview. I'm like, okay, <laughs> tell me where, 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 to, where can I read more about this? So, okay. So talk to me about the neural hierarchy because yes, that's you a talked about sure. the tongue and the mm -hmm. neural, the stimulation. And before we started, you were talking about the visual and the vestibular system and then yeah. the proprioceptive system. What are those yes. three things? So there's something called a neural hierarchy, which goes back to what we were talking about, how the fitness and health space really focus on the proprioceptive map. So if you imagine like a triangle and it's cut in three sections, the bottom section is a proprioceptive map, which again, there's a lot of time spent on that, that system, yeah. which is just our awareness of where we are in space. We can improve our proprioceptive map through joint mobility. Commonly, you see a lot of this in like dynamic stretching, even like weight training, right? Having that weight on our body helps us get a better sense of where we are in space. Yeah. Um, and then secondary to that is the next level on the hierarchy is the vestibular system, which is your inner ear. And your vestibular system is so tiny. It's like the size of like your pinky nail. It's really deeply embedded in your inner ear. And it is basically how we understand our relationship to gravity. So it tells us where is up, where is down. The vestibular system also plays a really big role in creating context around pain. So oftentimes clients who have a very high pain threshold, I kind of am like, oh, I bet there's something going on in your vestibular system. The vestibular system also plays a really big role in gut health. Mm. So a lot of my clients who are imbalanced or maybe they dislike leg exercises, and we can talk more about why that's connected to the vestibular system. I can learn and listen to what symptoms are expressing and connect it probably to the fact that, oh, this would make sense that their gut would actually be a little bit, a little bit more like uh, sensitive. Maybe they have like food sensitivities. Mm -hmm. So the beautiful thing about understanding that is going back to your question around, do I, you know, do the prebiotics, probiotics? Do I do this cleanse? Starting with food is really challenging from what I've under, what I've experienced as a coach. It's really emotional. There's like a lot of like you know, some of our perfectionism can come through. It can be really, really tough. And so I like to start working with my client's nutrition through a movement lens. So I'm like, well, what if I can help train their inner ear to again, work in that very appropriate input type of way, but then all of a sudden they're starting to notice that they're digesting food better. And again, it's just the way that these, these systems all kind of connect together. So that's the vestibular system. Can I, I ask went, you something before yeah. we go to visual? Yeah. How is the vestibular? So, so in our inner ear, we have this thing mm -hmm. and it's balanced and it's, it's yeah. okay. How in the world is that connected to the gut? Yeah. So the vestibular system, it's like, what we want to think about is they, there's a saying that neurons that wire together, fire together. So when the vestibular system, it basically feeds into the insula cortex and which I talked about previously, which 
houses interoception, then the insula cortex feeds into the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve also has right feedback to our gut. So you want to think about it as like a chain of events. Vestibular goes to insula, insula goes to vagus nerve, vagus nerve goes into the gut. So that pathway, we could start with insula work, right? To help gut health. So I could have my clients do humming. They could do tongue mobility, but let's say it doesn't really work as impactful. The beautiful thing about neuroscience is then I'm like, cool, well then let's go to the vestibular system. Let's train that. Let's assess that. And then let's add some head turning rotations. Some there's these two inner ear organs as well that need some input that then I can also stimulate to help again, this global experience in the body of like, I'm symptomatic in my gut. Okay. Well, maybe it comes from the vestibular system versus the foods you're eating. What throat is, are there symptoms? So if somebody's like, I wonder if it is my vestibular system, are there specific symptoms or is it more like you try to see if the, the exercises help? Yeah. So usually what I will start off with is I take a pretty extensive health history and usually in the health history, there's a lot of answers in that. So it starts from someone just labeling the symptoms they carry. Like if someone is, as I mentioned, ruminating, uh, monkey brain anxiety, I'm like, Ooh, okay. I probably am going to assess like vagus nerve, which there's assessments for that. I'm probably going to assess, you know, balance as well. Cause I know that that feeds into the vagus nerve. So that assessment process will then help me paint a better, clearer picture of then these are the drills that I would recommend in the beginning. And again, our body's intelligent. I can have a client do a vision drill. Well, usually I'll assess them before. So they'll do maybe some sort of range of motion, which we can do today. They'll do some sort of range of motion assessment. I'll give them a vestibular drill. They'll reassess. And let's say hypothetically, they're like, oh my God, my neck feels so much like more mobile. I have less pain. Lack of tension accessory tension that's unnecessary that goes away after moving your head and neck from a vestibular input drill is a great indicator that we found a good drill to decrease threat. And again, Mm -hmm. this is all about decreasing the threat in the bucket. So the more threats I can take out by handing clients all these tools over time, right? Those chronic symptoms hopefully aren't as intense. They become more sporadic. And then we have more control levers to also manage if they do surface again. Got it. Okay. So, and then tell me about the, the visual system. Yeah. So the visual system is, I think the statistic is upwards of 90% of our environment is first interpreted through our visual input system. So we take in so much sensory input through our eyes and our brain, it's our brain's first window into the world for us to understand, am I safe? Am I not safe? However, we have two eyes and we need to make sure that they work well together. We also need to make sure that they're pretty clear, but most of us, unfortunately, don't have eyes that work well together. Maybe one eye is clearer than the other. Maybe we've had an injury to one eye. And so as a result of those like asymmetries, similar to the rest of the body, like I have like one hamstring that's stronger than the other hamstring, the asymmetries over time, then right. It impacts our ability to predict as we go back to that statement, prediction, then we have higher threat, then we have more muscular tension just held because we don't feel that safe. Interesting. What are some symptoms that your visual system is off or imbalanced? Yeah, I think most commonly, you know, I would say anxiety is a pretty high one. Anxiety is a high one. I would say, I mean, in general pain, but if I could place it in locations. It's going to be a lot of neck pain. It's going to be a lot of back pain. Um, headaches are a really great example of that. What about motion sickness? 
Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked that question. Okay. So there's something called sensory mismatch. So have you heard of that term before? No. Mm -mm. Okay. So we have those three systems that we named visual, vestibular, and proprioceptive. They all have to work together to help our brain and our body be like, oh, we're good. However, most, most times, right. One's like more dominant. One's like not working as well. So let's imagine you're driving in the car but you're in the backseat because you caught an Uber to the airport. Mm-hmm. So you're in the backseat and yeah, most, as I tell the story, <laughs> people who have most, like, yeah. <laughs> like, and okay, even that moment right there, painting a picture, the brain can't compartmentalize stress. So for you retelling that, and you're probably getting a body experience in that. And this is how intelligent the brain is, right? It's like, I experienced that as something I don't want to do. And I'm going to give Noel a symptom, right? Yeah. Let's not listen to the rest of Alyssa's story. <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. So, okay. So we're in the backseat and then let's say you get a, a ping, right? Like someone messages you. So your eyes glance down at your phone, your inner ear. Again, I have mentioned there's these two inner organs, the two inner organs in the inner ear. One helps us understand up and down movement. So that's why I mentioned like some of my clients who hate leg day, usually it's a vestibular thing. So if I can train their vestibular system, then all of a sudden they're PRing on their squats, their deadlifts and lunges and squat jumps. All those things start to just perform better because we're training the actual system that's supposed to feed into us feeling capable of doing those movements. So one controls up and down so we can think of an elevator and then one controls forward and backwards motion like a train. So when your eyes glance down at a phone, your eyes are telling your brain, oh, we're not moving. You're looking at a screen that's that's not moving. But then your inner ear is like, no, 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 we're moving. We are flying through space at 80, 80 miles per hour. The mismatch is very triggering or very, I would say, yeah, it's just very unsafe for the brain. The brain's like, this is so dangerous. Like what is happening? So it will, again, elicit a behavior change tool, motion sickness. So you get motion sickness. You say, Uber driver, pull over. I'm going to throw up. And then where you get your feet on the ground your sensory input systems can then pair up and they're like, oh, we're stable. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I feel so much better. Yeah. So sensory mismatch shows up as well in like, if you've ever done a lot of cardio on machines, on a treadmill in particular, sensory mismatch to the max. And it's interesting because people will, you know, let's say they want to weight loss, they're on a weight loss journey and they're doing a ton of cardio, but it's all inside, but they're constantly creating sensory mismatch. And they're like, I've been doing so much cardio and I'm eating perfectly, but I'm not losing weight. And I'm like, well, it's probably because your brain is stressed out for like 60 minutes a day, seven days a week, you know, by doing so much mismatch. So Mm -hmm. the tread moving under you, your brain is like, well, we're moving, but then your inner ear is like, we're kind of in the same spot. And then your eyes are like, yeah, we're kind of in the same spot, but your proprioceptive map is like, no, 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 we're moving. And then so you're looking again, at the TV up yeah, in the gym and it's like going a different way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's the mismatch again. And then we want to understand that pain is that behavior change tool, right? So it's going to elicit motion sickness. That's going to have you change the behavior, get me on ground, pull over. What about somebody who has, I'm thinking about my co-host, Steph, she has a lot of light sensitivity, like looking at bright lights will immediately result in a headache. And she's experienced chronic headaches for a lot of her life. Now she's had nose work done to try to improve her breathing because she doesn't have very good nasal breathing, which you mentioned that before, but is a headache. Like headaches are just fascinating to me in the worst way because- They're so confusing. They don't necessarily, that's like such a great example of nervous system pain, actually, because it's just like you feel pain. So, but like, where is it coming from and why and how do you release it? And we do all this science and research on it and we can find that like 
magnesium helps headaches, but at the same time, people just get out of headaches out of nowhere in quotations. And it's so hard to get it to shut down. And people who deal with migraines and they just come out of nowhere, it ruins their entire day. Oh my gosh. Now I'm realizing it stops them from doing the things that they're doing. Yeah. So there's three kind of predominant types of headaches. There's like tension headaches, there's migraines, and there's like cluster headaches. And so if someone is light sensitive, it could be like, you know, a lot of blue eyed, like lighter uh, colored lenses can actually make you more light sensitive. The more light is coming into your eye. Like in general, I'll go back to the visual system because it's such an influential like piece of headaches and migraines. Your eyes have muscles around them that similar to muscles in the body need the same type of stretching, same type of mobilizing and same type of like just, yeah, strengthening. So if we are disregarding moving our eyes to a wide range of motion, well, your brain's going to get really great at holding an isometric (laughs) because the brain is always working towards efficiency, not necessarily towards what is best for you. So it will then hold an isometric contraction of your eyes. Well, the attachment points of the eyes are the base of the cranium. So depending on the location of someone's headache, is it in the front? Is it off to the side? There's also a suture here that could be really stick sticky that if we have good breathing mechanics, there will be motion here and we need motion in our cranium. But where the eye muscles attached to at the base of the cranium, someone may like rub it and be like, oh, that feels so nice. So they're creating sensory input to an attachment point from the eye that could create relief. But in most cases, like I try to change my working desk options because if I'm on my laptop, I know I'm a certain distance and my eyes are getting really good at staying in isometric contraction at this distance. But if I go to my desktop, I can be in a different position. So I'm constantly trying to remind my brain that like, I got you. I know that eyes are meant to be moved, but right now I have a few meetings back to back. Yeah. So just creating more motion. I mean, movement in general is such a fundamental need by the brain and body. So if I can constantly move my eyes, you know, I go on walks and making sure I'm not looking at the ground and gazing off into the distance, huge benefit for the parasympathetic nervous system. Wow. Okay. So if If somebody thinks their nervous system is connected to their chronic health issues, which it sounds like it definitely plays a big part in that um, from what you're telling us, what are some things that they can do? I mean, are there things that we can do without figuring out exactly what it is or which system is at play? And maybe if we do need an assessment, can you talk me through some of that or maybe an exercise for people? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because my history with my own brain and body stemmed from being like a collegiate athlete. And then it was funny when you were not, you and I were talking earlier where you were a dancer and then you went right into running. I was a collegiate athlete that went, went right into figure competitions. So my brain was like, let's do something even harder, <laughs> you know? And it was like, let me just focus all that perfectionism and no pain, no gain type of mentality towards something that's just as intense. And so that was like a a very interesting reflection for myself of a personality tendency I have. So after competing, I had like a host of these terrible symptoms, you know, under the umbrella of metabolic damage, but my body rapidly gained weight in such a short amount of time. It was like over 65 pounds in six months. um, And I was doing all the quote unquote right things. I had pain that just traveled through my body, like debilitating pain. And then I had vertigo. I had leaky gut, right? Like I had all these like, like just symptoms on end, 
did all the panels, did all the tests. And then I stepped into this neuroscience work. And then I was like, how is moving my eyes going to help me with my gut stuff? Right. Like what is this bizarre? But what I, what I learned in this was pain re-education. I learned that all these symptoms were like, they were there before. I just was so focused on my goal that I disregarded them. So my body awareness, even in the health space, I was not very body aware. So I had to really start to repair a relationship with my body from the standpoint of like, if she pinged me with a little shoulder, like irritation, I'd be like, Oh, what's going on. I would pause and I would get curious. And then I would try to insert the, the tools that I started to build for myself. And so I found that for me, my toolkit that helped me gently, again, it's like a gentle process of shifting out of survival mode that I think needs to be encouraged more often than this big overhaul of like, you need to rest and like take days off. Like that's, that's not the answer either. It's more of like, okay, if I was so accustomed to training at such a high caliber and so intensely, how can I still move my body, but in a safe way that then was not making the stress of exercise make me feel worse. Cause that was a very common thing. I would exercise and I would feel all my symptoms come back even more intense. Hmm. So I learned how to, I learned literally, I learned how to breathe better for my body. I learned how to clear movement maps, as we've talked about through vision therapy, through small joint mechanic drills. And then I had to learn that there was very specific types of exercise, like cardio being one of them that would like in a, if I did 30 minutes of cardio, I would gain six pounds in a 24 hour period. And I would have incredible anxiety. And then I would have like a binge eating experience because my body was like experiencing so much threat from 30 minutes of cardio. So I started to just curate like the highest threats that would then trigger my symptoms. And then opposed to that, I would then figure out, well, how can I get ahead of these threats? Because if I know that staring at a screen for an hour is going to trigger my vertigo, well, maybe 30 minutes into my client session, I can make sure I take a breath. So I'm like in conversation again with my body, reducing threat. Talk to me about body mapping and what that means and Mm -hmm. how past injuries can actually impact that. Yeah. So I like to have clients picture, like, let's say someone like took, like, you're just standing in front of a white wall. They take a picture of you, they print it out. And then they're like, here's an eraser. And they're like, I want you to look at your body and then reflect on what kind of trauma and injuries you've had. So this person's like, oh, I sprained my left ankle. So they erase their left ankle. Oh, I have, um, in a car accident, I, you know, had this scar on my knee. So, and it's a pretty intense scar. So they rub out their left knee. They're like, oh, I have like surgery on my left thumb. Erase the left thumb. I had a concussion. Erase the left side of their uh, brain or left side of their cranium. And then there's also other traumas like unstable upbringing. What was the stability experience like as you were growing up? So when you then are presented your picture of yourself, you're like, wow, my brain is basically moving around with a right wrist, a right foot, not a left side to the brain. Right. And so you start to see that like, wow, your body's doing actually an amazing job with very blurry maps. So there is a map for every single part of your body and the maps help us predict our level of safety. When we have trauma, those maps get blurry. The goal of neuroscience in this brain-based coaching is to clarify these maps. So if someone has a sprained ankle and I see that in their health history, I want to understand, did you go to rehab? Did you have PT? Can you sense sensation in that part of your foot? So maybe we play around with putting ice there and they're like, feel nothing. Well, to me, I'm like, oh, well, that's 
We need to rehab your brain being able to feel ice and cold on your ankle. So maybe their homework is placing ice for 10 minutes at a time. And over time, we're reassessing that maybe the next day they're like, oh, instead of 10 minutes of the ice being on me, I could feel it at five. So that's literally plastic change happening at that frequency and that pace. So I'm trying to clarify all these maps. So eventually someone is moving through the world so in trust of where they are and what their body can do that then when it comes to like goals, right? The goals that a lot of my clients have, when it gets beyond, I want to feel better and less anxious in my body and connected to her. It's like, oh, I kind of want to run this half marathon. I want to be able to deadlift my body weight. And then you start to see their ability to expand what's possible in their body because they now have a body they feel in connection with. If you have unexplained or even occasional digestive issues like myself, or you just want to support your body in the absorption of nutrients, digestive enzymes are your first defense. And I have a 20% off coupon code for you, which I'm very excited about. Even though I eat nutrient-dense foods and I don't eat foods I'm reactive to, I still have random digestive issues occasionally, especially when stressed, traveling, or eating out. I ended up doing some research on different enzymes that help digest protein, lactose, and even carbohydrates and wanted something that had hydrochloric acid since stomach acid is often suppressed when we're stressed. I found all of that in something called Digestive Complex. It has a blend of 10 different digestive enzymes, including lactase, to help with dairy digestion and protease for protein digestion, and a blend of herbs like licorice and marshmallow root, which are calming for the stomach. When I tell you this has completely changed my digestion, I am not exaggerating. I take them almost daily now, specifically with cheese, since I'm trying to up my protein intake, and I have zero issues with dairy. And about one to two times a week, I take them at night, just after dinner, if my stomach is a little sour or off, and every single time, it resolves it. I now have a bottle in my purse. It goes everywhere with me. I travel with them and always take them, especially when I'm eating out at restaurants. Digestive Complex is a synergistic formula that provides support for healthy digestion and relief from occasional discomfort like gas, bloating, and indigestion, I think just about everyone should have a bottle on hand to proactively help your body digest food, especially if you're dealing with a chronic condition or you're under stress. And for a limited time, you can get 20% off Digestive Complex. Just go to mdlogichealth.com forward slash digestive and use coupon code WELLFED20 for 20% off. Again, that's MD Logic Health. So MD L O G I C H E A L T H dot com forward slash digestive. And use coupon code WELLFED20 for 20% off. And you always get free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Okay. So you know a little bit about my history before we get into the questions from the community. Yeah. You know a little bit about my history. What are, maybe you could take me through. An exercise as long as it doesn't involve eye circles, because that's going to make me dizzy. We'll have to be at a different time. What, which I'm sure is a red flag, but can take, take me through um, maybe an exercise that we can do together. Okay. So, you know, it's so interesting that you mentioned that. That already tells me, as I mentioned, that we have two eyes that are supposed to move together. So when both eyes are open and they're trying to coordinate through that motion, it's high threat to you. It's too much input. So I wonder how you would feel with closing one eye and you probably have one eye that's more dominant than the other. So there's, yeah. So there's a way to make eye circles. And this is part of the experimental process is like, if a client is responding, quote unquote, not in the right way we want them to by death. And just think about it that way, right? If you move your eyes in a circle and all of a sudden you get dizzy, when you move through your day, 
you're not using your periphery, right? Because getting your visual input outside of a safe range of motion is so triggering from a dizziness standpoint. But then what is the cascade effects? Maybe you start to hold your shoulders tightly. You or your breathing gets impacted, then your gut health gets impacted, and then you start to carry pain in weird areas of your body. So the goal would be, can we get Noelle's eyes to move in a circle without her feeling dizzy? And then that would be like, okay, can we do it with eyes closed? Maybe she needs to be propped up. Maybe it needs oh. to be dark room, right? So there's like subtleties that to make it a safer experience for you, basically. Okay. So I heard, so, I think I yeah. heard you mention that or something on a, either it was a podcast I was listening to as, as I was learning more about you or something that you maybe said on Instagram. And I was like, oh, I'll try that. And like, I literally did it a few times and I got that motion sickness feeling that I get especially when I'm like scrolling on Instagram, it happens sometimes because the world's moving so fast now, right? Yeah. I've always gotten motion sick since I was a kid. It, it I do feel like it's become, I've become more sensitive as I've gotten older because I've, I haven't done anything for it. And of course, mm-hmm. there's so many people that are like, it's a deficiency in this or that. And I'm like, no, I'm good with that. So I never, yeah. but this makes so much sense the visual system, there's, there's an imbalance. There's, there's something going on. It's nervous system related. Like that just, that makes yeah, so, so you probably sense. have a lot of mismatch, right? Like when we talk about the ways that your eyes and ears should work, be working together, obviously I don't want to make you dizzy, but there's definitely some things that we could experiment with. I think one thing we can try first is let's check just like eye dominance, if that's okay with you. And then yeah, we yeah. can better understand and open up the conversation to that. So yeah. What you're going to do is you're actually going to have to gaze at something out in the distance. So if you're facing, are you facing a window? Yeah. Okay, perfect. So you want to find like maybe like a tree that's pretty far in the distance and you're basically creating a triangle around that tree. So you can bring your hands up. Okay. And then place the tree in the middle of that. And then you're going to make it really small so you only see the tree. So you can close your hands. Good. And then what I want you to do is you're going to shut your left eye. Can you still see it? Yes. Okay. Open your left eye and then shut your right eye. Can you still see it? No. (laughs) What? And so that's a very weird. That's a very quick eye dominance assessment at that specific distance. So basically when you cut, when you closed your left eye, correct, you could still see it through your right. Yes. When I close my, hold on. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. And okay. just make sure you're so, neutral. So yeah. So both so both eyes are open. Both you, eyes are open. You create so like for me, it's like, oh, I can see it, I can see it. I close my left eye, I can see it. But if I close my right eye, then it's like I'm looking at something completely different. Okay, so right eye open, you can see it. Is that what I just said? I think so. Yeah, right's dominant, yes. Okay. So imagine this now. You're seeing the world more clearly through that dominant right eye. So what would naturally happen is you would probably, I mean, your brain's going to be like, well, let's, let's use that eye. So you would have a cervical rotation so that you get more of your visual field interpreted more appropriately, more clearly. But then that subtle rotation also then is having your auditory, your temporal lobe working more on the right side. This side then becomes more deficient. And then we start to notice maybe there's a little thoracic rotation. And then you're starting to carry and your gait cycle, you're have a heavier heel drop, right? On let's say, let's say the left side, because you're having to compensate. So there's this cascade of domino impacts 
just given that you're looking more through the right eye. So um, it's interesting. Usually when I have clients set up like this, they'll do this. And I'm like, okay, we already know which eye supports them. <laughs> I did <laughs> already do that. I was like, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do this. Let's try and actually just isolate the non-dominant eye through one vision drone. We'll see how you feel. Okay. So what I like to have clients do is again, the nervous system is so fast so we can literally experience change immediately. So you're just going to rotate your head to the side and then the other side. And then no, I'll just take inventory of like what this feels like. Maybe one side feels tighter. Maybe there's more range of motion on one side. I do feel like the right side is tighter, but it might just be how I slept last night, but (laughs) okay. Okay. So what you'll do is let's cover your right eye and then we're going to move your left eye. And again, this would make a lot of sense that your right side would be tighter because the way that the eye muscles attach is they cross. So the left eye will attach to the base of the right. So sometimes if we have neck pain on one side, it probably could be coming from, from the opposite eye. So we're patching, patching the eye. You're going to focus on your finger and you're just going to draw like an H with your finger and your eyes stay on the finger. And we're just going to do one. Are we doing a lowercase H or an uppercase H? Let's go uppercase. Oh, an uppercase. Okay. And then come back to the middle and then you're going to cross over. Good. I do feel like it's even harder to see out of this eye. Mm-hmm. And then we'll I'll see if you can bring it up a little bit. So make the H a little bit bigger. And you can relax after that one. Good. And then what we're going to do is reassess. So rotate. And does your rotation feel different? Oh my gosh, so different, Alyssa. (laughs) Like I can like look behind my shoulder. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. So again, it's specificity. Yeah. Oh, the shoulder injury. This is the side. Yeah. 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 So specificity does matter. For you, having both eyes open might be a progress step to move towards, but probably like my clients, a lot of my clients have like patches that they have at home. So they're patching their dominant eye. They're doing all their vision therapy, mobilizing the eye that's maybe a little bit more suppressed. There's also a bunch of different types of ways we should move our eyes, which is, you know, gazing into the distance. Can we do like something called saccading, which is jumping our eyes back and forth? You actually did a really great job of uh, referencing how scrolling on your phone, that jumping, that's a saccade. So that saccading motion, we should have the ability to like do that, but it can actually trigger for a lot of people, like a lot of motion sickness. So -hmm. if you imagine like you FaceTime a friend and she's like walking around her place and you're like, oh my God, I can't look at her because I'm getting motion sickness, right? So it's a, your brain's having a hard time tracking. So Mm -hmm. saccading is just again, a rapid eye movement from side to side. The beautiful thing about saccading is that it basically activates the frontal lobe and the cerebellum. And the frontal lobe, what lives in the frontal lobe is all of our executive decision-making, our willpower is housed there, our motivation, our critical thinking skills. So for you, as someone that runs and manages so many tasks as a business owner, as well as a parent and a partner, that part of your brain is working so hard. And then it works with the um, cerebellum, which is responsible for what we call our movement ABCs. So how accurate we are, how balanced we are, and how coordinated we are. Both of those work together. The frontal lobe and the cerebellum also work together in inhibition. So the days where my clients are definitely feeling anxious, rumination, monkey mind, usually my high priority for them is let's do vision therapy today. So they need to target that part of the brain through jumping their eyes through vision therapy to target and activate that part of the brain. 
And again, we just reassess it, right? They walk yeah. in, my anxiety on a scale of one to five is five. They do saccades while I'm down to a one. Well, I hope you have room for more clients in your schedule. <laughs> <laughs> I need help. Um, I hope that some of you guys were able to actually listen along and do some of that um, because that's amazing. Um, so let's get into the questions from our community okay. with our, our last little bit of time together. Alyssa says, what are some concrete physical but easy exercises you can do when you know your nervous system is severely dysregulated to bring your ba- brain a sense of safety in your body? If you struggle with chronic pain, illness, and digestive issues, do you recommend talk therapy for trying to release childhood trauma, or would you work on your nervous system exclusively or maybe simultaneously with the talk therapy? If therapy, would you recommend a somatic practitioner? Mm. I could ask like 10 more questions, but I'm so happy you're having Alyssa on. She's one of my IG favorites. Oh, it was funny. She was so sweet. She actually DM'd me. She's like, I, I saw you're going to be on Noelle's podcast. And so we were like DMing. Um, awesome. Yeah. And she sent me a screenshot of her response. So quick, quick wins for nervous system regulation is, you know, I, we talked about staring at blue light is already your brain moving into sympathetic response. So I tend to, like you mentioned, you're in front of a window, just taking your eyes off of your screen and gazing into the distance soft gaze into the distance, you probably already feel like a sense of like calm in your body. Mm-hmm. So I often have clients set their working office setup in front of a window where they can take their eyes off the screen, look into the distance, soften their gaze, relax everything in their, uh, in their face. So that's a really tangible one. Walking is one of the best things that I, personally for me, I continue to prioritize, but, um, in my own healing, that was the only thing that was available for me that didn't trigger like a very, like it didn't trigger panic attacks. It didn't trigger pain. I just had to condition myself to like walk like time-wise distance that felt very safe for my own body. And again, safety is very personal. It's all self-defined breathing. In many cases, when we are at computers or navigating sympathetic overdrive, our breathing is a little dysregulated. I have a lot of clients that either are breath holders or they're mouth breathers. And so if you're a mouth breather, typically you're having a hard time quenching your thirst. You have like random sighs throughout the day. You're yawning, but you're actually not tired. You're just, that's an actual inherent response by the brain. When we are over breathing, it's trying to recalibrate the amount of oxygen we're taking in through a sigh or a yawn. So sealing your lips, breathing through your nose and taking potentially longer exhales and longer exhales also upregulate the parasympathetic side of the nervous system. So that's, again, those are probably the three best things I would definitely prioritize. And with those three things, right? Assess, reassess, assess how you're feeling before you take yourself off the screen, check your neck, gaze into the distance, 10 seconds, come back, reassess. Did it change? Like, again, that's how fast the nervous system can work. So if so do you recommend talk? So say somebody mm-hmm. has childhood traumas, little T or big T, mm-hmm. do you recommend talk therapy or would you say, let's work on your nervous system first? Or would is it something you do simultaneously? Yeah. I mean, I think what I want, what I, at least I've worked a lot on understanding about the human body is that it's really, I have a friend in, that uh, I was work, or chatting with and we laugh about how we refer to our body as like this meat suit that we just like used to experience the world. Mm -hmm. This meat suit, however, like carries a lot. Like we can feel our emotions, right? Like I feel joy in my, my chest or I feel anxiety in my gut. I have butterflies, right? Like we have language for how we're describing emotions carried in the body. 
And so when we have trauma and depending on our trauma response and our survival response, if we disassociated, we disconnected from our body when threat was detected, but then that emotion may still live somewhere in the body. So I've had a lot of clients tell me, you know, unless I went to this yoga class and we did this hip opener and I just like cried uncontrollably. And I was like, yeah, that's you like utilizing a beautiful tool, like movement to move like stuck emotions, trauma out of your body. So this is why movement can be so complementary to talk therapy. A lot of my clients who have therapists in, intertwined in our programming, they have drills they do before therapy. And then after therapy, I always want time and space blocked out for integration. So that that's individual. So for some clients, they just need to walk. But what they're doing is they're integrating all that talk therapy, all the cognitive load they did at processing something really challenging. And then they're doing something that's very autonomous for the brain, also very relaxing for the brain, but they're integrating. Maybe other people, it's like, I need them to get under the yoga mat. They do hip openers, they breathe, they focus on vision therapy, but it can pair very well together. And I think that the body is such a beautiful vessel and the movement is such a beautiful vehicle to help us truly get out a lot of the the things that over time can lead to chronic illnesses. Mm -hmm. Like when we talk about, is it this or this? Is it my emotional state? Is it my trauma? It's probably a collection of everything that's just getting lodged in the body until the brain's like, we need to change the behavior, right? Let's Mm -hmm. give her pain. Mm -hmm. Wow. This is from Teresa. She says, what can you do about it besides in quotations, manage stress? It makes me nuts when that's the advice. Literally, what can we do today to help? Yeah. So I like giving anyone that's first new to this work, uh, I have this threat bucket download. And what I recommend is getting really curious about what is your threats. So there's like fill in the blank, like you kind of like get into the habit of like, what's in my threat bucket? What's in my threat bucket? So you get very clear on how quickly your threat bucket maybe fills up, what your brain does detect as threats. So that then if we know, again, staring at the screen for an hour escalates into vertigo. Well, we know that blue light, not moving your eyes is a pretty high threat. So managing stress is more about managing threats, but we first need to get clear on like, what is a threat that your brain is detecting so that then we can get ahead of it. So do I need to do, do I need this person to do breathing before they hop on a screen? And then after the screen, maybe they need to gaze out into the distance, take a walk. So we're managing threats, but we're actually also rewiring the nervous system in the process. Yeah, I like that a lot. I I totally agree. I think I downloaded I downloaded an ebook that you did about threat buckets. Mm. And I think sometimes the hardest thing is really figuring out what are the things that are chronically stressing us and yeah. then figuring out ways to reduce the exposure. I mean, it's it doesn't sound complicated, but it is obviously because putting that into practice means changing pathways that are very comfortable for us, that are learned behaviors that may actually not be helpful, Mm -hmm. but are helpful to help us manage stress in the moment. For example, if you're overstimulated or the Sunday scaries, um, Mm -hmm. the Sunday scaries, you start to feel overwhelmed and anxious. A lot of people will try to distract themselves by grabbing their phone getting on social media, more stimulation, more annoying people, more more trolls, more world news, more politics, more blue light. And so while that's a comfortable way to 
manage our stress or anxiety that's actually only creating more problems. Yeah. And you're naming such a, yeah. And what's so interesting is I often have clients also reflect on what are their habituated feelings that they have. And so let's say stress is one of them. They're just so accustomed to being stressed all the time. Well, when you're not stressed and maybe not stressed is like a, you know, a notch down from being the stress level you're always at. The fasting thing, again, as you mentioned, the brain is hardwired to feel comfort, ironically, with stress. So you'll seek out stressful things. I mean, it was not ironic. It's actually very scientific that when the pandemic first came out, the number one movie people were watching was Outbreak, right? It's like we were like exposing ourselves to something that was stressful because it ironically created comfort, right? It was like such a weird expression of neuroscience, ironically. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from Paula. She says, what's a realistic healing timeline? I feel like we could be doing this work forever. It's overwhelming at times. What's the difference between active recovery and maintaining? Oh, such a good question. And I think, especially with chronic pain, uh, it's it's a process of really having support. I would say that's that's a big thing. Having support and having someone that can help you see progress markers that may not be the stuff we see on social media. Like I've had clients, like I, I over, I not over exaggerate, but I make it known that this is huge. Like the fact that you can pause on the Sunday scaries and name that you're having the Sunday scaries, that's a huge progress marker of you being more regulated. The fact that you have like a hunger cue now, amazing. You're going to the, you're um, having regular bowel movements. Like I'm celebrating all the things that aren't sexy, right? Like social media is like, oh, this person has this transformation photo. I'm like, did you see my client pause in her trigger? <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> like that is worth celebrating because it says yeah. so much more about the health of their nervous system. I had this one client that, you know, structure for her was stifling. It was so, so stifling. She just felt her inner rebel, like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow rules. And she came from a history of like extreme diet culture where her autonomy was like taken away from her and she had to eat X, Y, and Z. And then over time she was like, I think I need a little structure. And I was like, oh my God, okay, let me walk you through why that's happening. And this is what's going on in the brain. Her brain no longer interpreted that as a threat and actually found it as support. We removed options. We created little benchmarkers of success and progress. And then the structure has now become such a supportive tool for her that again, it's it's reassuring when you are navigating a journey that can feel endless. Mm-hmm. So it's really about how can we create little stepping stones that you start to see as like, oh, I'm like no longer having like the headache that surfaces every hour. It's now every three hours. And it may sound ridiculous, but it is on a fundamental neuroscience level, huge. Like that shift yeah. is huge. Yeah. Yeah. This is an interesting question from Katie. She says, can you talk about gut health and how to heal any issues connected with ADHD? I think this is a really interesting topic because ADHD in particular has risen in recent years all across all age groups, kids and adults. I have found a stat that said the the percentage of women newly diagnosed with ADHD between the ages of 23 and 29 and 30 and 49 years of age has nearly doubled from 2020 to 2022, which is a very short period of time. So talk to me about the nervous system and ADHD. One of the best questions that I was taught to ask is what happened before it happened? So if we have a weird pain symptom, what happened before this? Oh, 
yeah, that's right. I had like so-and-so that passed away. I switched jobs and moved to a different state. So there's always something that happened before we start noticing, oh, I'm having a hard time focusing. 2020 pandemic. The pandemic has left lingering imprints on all of us, socially, interactions. You know, we're all now more exposed to blue light. We're all now have a lot of reps of working from home. Those of you that were parents, oh my goodness, like VIP awards to the parents that had to be teachers on top of trying to maintain stability in the household on top of trying to maintain their jobs. That is huge survival mode. Mm -hmm. So what I believe is probably happening is we are not moving our eyes as much. There's a huge increase in social media usage, TikTok and all of that, the doom scrolling, call it doom scrolling, doom scrolling late at night. It's a self-soothing distraction tool, right? But we're further disassociating from our bodies. and because we're not given, I would say the space or the tools to again, shift out of like that post, like post pandemic and quotations lifestyle, like it can be really challenging to feel like ourselves. So we're easily distractible. We're more sensitive to being in crowd, right? And does that come from our nervous system or does that come from like a like it was imprinted on us from a cultural mandate, right? Where now all of a sudden I have a lot of clients who've had increase in anxiety in, in spaces where it's closed, you know? Mm-hmm. So the brain also understands context or works in context. So pain could be louder in certain situations versus others. And we want to just respect that as like, that's your brain's way of protecting you. Mm-hmm. What connections do you see the nervous system have with ADHD, even with like kids? I mean, how does that, Yeah. I mean, I have a niece and it's been amazing seeing her grow up and the amount of flexibility, mobility, the the way she is stimulating her inner ear is so fascinating. So she loves to shake her head and, and that motion is a vestibular input. So when she gets tired, she's trying to self-soothe and she loves being held and then bounce, which is another vestibular input. So for kids, we, we, they're just playing less. I think they're not outside as much. And yeah. so when we're not in these like free flowing movements of moving our head and neck, looking out into the distance and we're on a screen that is blurring the visual and vestibular brain map. Wow. And what ends up happening is, well, if those maps are blurry, when they look at a, a book and they're trying to read it, their eyes are going to be jumping all over the place. So is it that they're misbehaving in class or is it that they need to train their eyes better? So there's a lot of research that does support occupational behavior therapy as a tool to help clients or patients just have better focus, have the ability to like sit in class. And also I think the environment of like class is like also really against what we're hardwired to do, which is move and have freedom of using our body. So there's a lot of things that are going against us. And in many cases, if, if again, you mentioned parents are overwhelmed, the best thing at times can be, can you watch this movie? you know, to give you relief, to give people relief. So there's no judgment. It's just like, these are the patterns I've been noticing. Yeah, totally. That makes so much sense. Okay. Last questions from Lacey. She says options of chiropractic care for these sort of issues. So I know that I love my chiropractor. She's amazing. She has a lot of knowledge in all the things, including the nervous system. And I know that structurally the body impacts the nervous system. So does, is this something that, you know, could be integrated into chiropractic care? What are your views on that? 
Yeah. So there's some, there's some aspects of chiropractic care that have a harder time translating over into fully integrating into a different body that you have is you go into the chiropractic office and typically you're on a table. So the adjustments are maybe made where you're lying supine, but what happens as soon as you sit up and you place your feet on the ground, in some cases, my clients will feel worse because they're like, whoa, I'm now in a, <laughs> my rib was put back in place, but now I'm standing, where am I? And so it can be a, a very big kind of like life, like um, experiential altering experience. Yeah. So a couple of things that come to mind are usually if you have a very hypervigilant, highly stressed nervous system, very subtle chiropractic adjustments typically work better. Not the high velocity, big cracks, big turns like that. Your brain's going to be like, oh my God. And you could feel worse. And so usually it's like drop table. It's like really small. Like I had this one amazing chiropractor that I integrated in my healing. She literally was just like tapping certain parts of my body. And she's like, you might be sore the next day. And I was like, I don't think so. The next day I was like, oh my God, I I, I felt like I had like the hardest workout and it was so subtle. And so I appreciated her awareness of like, like just being so intuitive and recognizing the state of health my body was in and knowing that less was going to be way more or the best Mm -hmm. thing that could be done. So usually if there's chiropractor that is involved in someone's programming, I always just make sure again, there's that window of integration similar to therapy. So after that, can I get my clients in similar positions to do their breath work, to do their vision therapy, to walk, to then integrate the change that they had manipulated for them? The then goal is to understand, well, why is the rib always getting displaced? Why is the neck always getting out of rotation? And then to get ahead of all that and then to do all the programming around that so that you guys are making the change, right? So similar to massage therapy, someone's working on you, but you stand up and you're like, oh, that wasn't my body doing all the work. So the plastic change isn't as, it doesn't have the same transfer as if I was moving my joints, right? Versus someone moving it for me. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. Alyssa, this has been awesome. I wish I could talk to you for another few hours, but I know you have other things to do today and other priorities besides me. So we'll touch base at a later date, but this was so helpful. I know so many people, so many light bulbs went off, obviously for me. Where can people find more? Like, what are you doing? What are you working on? Are you writing a book? Because you should. Um, what's, What's coming up for you? Right now, I have a private membership that is really focused on this nervous system healing perspective. So all the every month we have a topic that we unpack from this nervous system lens. Right now we're looking at habit change in the brain. So why changing habits is so hard. Mm-hmm. And we spend time just unpacking that the whole month. So that's where doors are always open. I have a signature program called Better Expert where it's six months long where I'm working with these students on really helping them integrate all this nervous system work. We do movement assessments. They are walked through three different pillars of how I work with each client, which is the movement therapy piece, which adds in all the neural hierarchy. We look at nutrition as well. So how do they actually embody intuitive eating? Because again, intuitive eating is can be a very generalized, confusing space to enter. And I approach it from this neuroscience lens of does your inner ear need therapy for your gut health to heal? Mm. And then I also intersect uh, mindset. So, you know, uh, our core values, boundaries, and how essential that is for us to heal our own bodies, self-care, what does that actually look and feel like for you? So those are all intertwined and it's dripped through a curriculum over six months. So it's basically you going to school to learn how to work with your body from the scientific lens. I tend to attract a lot of the people that are analytical, scientific. They are very much so the, I want to learn this and 
it always, every enrollment I land in this group and I'm just like, I feel so grateful because these are just amazing students, so willing to absorb information. They're so willing to be led and coached and the progress that they make is just, I mean, it always gives me goosebumps and graduation happens. I'm always like a little sad because I'm like, oh, you know, like I have to graduate <laughs> these, these students. And then I just recently enrolled or launched Better Expert Volume 2 which is piggybacking off of all the things that they learned and they're starting to learn how to program for themselves. So the purpose of this is to get them into the habit of experimenting over and over again so that they better understand if their goal changes from, I want to be a marathon runner to, I want to learn how to play tennis to, I want to lose weight or whatever it is. They have the skill set of using the plasticity, the change, the drills to get them there. So those are the three big things right now that I have. One-on-one coaching is definitely something I offer and it's for very specific clients that have probably more extensive health histories that need that intimate one-on-one touch point with me. Got it. Okay. And then you're on Instagram and you provide Mm -hmm. lots of little tips too there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So on Instagram, you're at uh, Coach Alyssa or is it your full name? Coach Alyssa Chang. Okay. So it's at Coach Alyssa Chang. Her website is coachalissachang.com. Definitely go download her free resources. Look into some of her programs. You can do it along with me because we're going to be talking after this. So thank you so much for being here. And I appreciate you so much and taking the time to answer all of these questions. Oh my gosh, thank you. All right. So for more from uh, Alyssa, it's coachalissachang.com. For more from me, coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thanks for being here, guys. I will talk to you next week.